mark your calendars, we're going to have a special date night. And we're going to have this group called Out of the Dust. It's a husband and wife uh, who are going to come and, and minister to us in music and just share their story. They have a very powerful story of, of divorce and then God reconciling them together. Uh, I attended this event at a friend's house and just listened to their story. I had my daughter with me, and it was just a, just a, just a beautiful time to come together. And so I want you to, invite, to mark your calendars. Maybe there's somebody in, that you think should come to this, another couple. Uh, you'll be able to invite them. We'll have sign-ups. We don't have sign-ups yet. This is just to save the date because I realize that, you know, when you got to get child care and all that, it takes time to get that set up. But November 5th is a Friday night from about 6 or 6.30, haven't decided that yet, to 9 o'clock. We're going to have dinner, and we're just gonna, it's just going to be a time to gather together to build community, but also just an encouragement for our souls of just God's restoring gospel, for what the, how the gospel transforms us. And so make sure you save the date for that. Now let me invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, today is part two of a three-part series about the dearest place on earth. And of course what we're talking about is the church. Uh, the title came from a quote that I shared last week from Charles Spurgeon where he mentioned that the church is the dearest place on earth. Not full of perfect people, right? And he mentioned in that quote that if, if I were to find a perfect church, which is so, sometimes what people leave churches over, right? Like, well, i got to find a better church. And so really what they're saying is I'm going to find the perfect church. But here's the problem. As soon as we find that perfect church, if it even existed, it would no longer be perfect if we took part in it. So we are a, a glorified mess, aren't we? <laughs> a beautiful mess that God has rescued. And we owe him all the glory. The church is the dearest place on earth. And last week we looked at he Ephesians 2. And we talked about how the church is full of people who were once aliens. We were once all separated from God, weren't we? And the beautiful thing that happens when God rescues us is that he makes us citizens of his kingdom. And when we live with that understanding, when we live with the, the truth that we do not deserve to be part of God's kingdom, it leads us to a place where we want to glorify him. Amen? Like we do not belong in God's kingdom, and yet he has made a way through his son. But the church is not about those who just come and sit in the pews. It's about those whose lives have been genuinely transformed. Like we're different. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. But we are growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. That is the true church. Not those necessarily who just come on Sunday morning. We also looked at how the church is built on Christ. He is our cornerstone. And if the cornerstone in a house is wrong, guess what? The whole building is off. And we're in danger of crumbling. But Christ is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. He is the one that we build our church on. He is the one that we build our lives on. And we also talked about how no longer do we go to a building where Jesus dwells. We are the dwelling place of God. Isn't that amazing? That he would dwell within his people. People who are unworthy yet has made us worthy through Jesus. And so we have the church, those who have been transformed by the power of the gospel. And it is a beautiful thing. Well, this morning we are going to talk about this. Here's the title, if you like titles. The church gathers and grows. If you notice, 
if you've been to our membership class, you notice that the outline of the member, membership class is this. A, 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 a disciple glorifies, gathers, grows, and goes, which is also the theme here of our three weeks. Last week we talked about how the church gather, uh, glorifies. This week we're talking about how the church gathers and grows. But I'm actually not going to hit much on the grows today, and here's why. When we gather together, when we are doing what the church should be doing with one another, the natural overflow of that is that we grow. When we're doing what we're going to talk about, the church grows. And so I'm going to spend the majority of my time on gathers, but we have to understand when we do what God calls us to do, which is to gather as people together, we grow. We grow. But if we isolate ourselves without a really good reason, if we stop going to church or we are casual about our church attendance, our health will suffer for it. Number one, because we are sinning against God. We're going to look at how God has called us to meet together. And number two, we are stunting our growth in Christ. We have no one who knows us and no one who can help point us to the truth where we are stumbling. We have blind spots in our lives and we need others to come alongside. So why do we gather? We gather so that we are known, so that people can help us to grow more into the image of Christ. One of God's greatest gifts that he has given us is one another. And so our text this morning, uh, we're going to look at Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. So let me invite you now to stand as I read these two scriptures together for us. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord. You, you have given us a great gift so that we can learn and know more of who you are. And in the knowing of who you are, it, it gives us understanding of how we are to live. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes, Lord, that we would see the beauty of your church those whom you have rescued, Lord, and the importance that we gather together and then the growth that happens through our gathering together. Lord, I pray that you would give us a deep conviction, Lord, to gather because where two or more are gathered in your name, you're surely with us. So, Lord, would you open our eyes for us to see what we need to see. Would you bring encouragement this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in this passage, we see three answers to this question. Why should we gather as a church? Why? What's the point of coming together? And here's the first thing that we see in this passage. The, the church gathers to stir up. The church gathers to stir up. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So I'm reading out of the ESV. Your version may some say something different. Uh, spur on, stimulate, provoke, motivate. In other words, the church gathers in order to get people going, right? Uh, sometimes we need, it to be, we need to be prodded in order to move forward in our relationship with the Lord. 
God has rescued us not to be complacent, to sit in our seats, to feel good about a sermon, to sing some songs, and then go home unchanged. The fact is, we need to be motivated, and we need each other to do that. To do that. Most of us are not self-motivated, and if we are self-motivated, it's for the wrong reasons. We need others to help motivate us towards the right thing. But notice that even before the stirring up happens, something needs to happen. What is that? What do you see there? Before the stirring up. Let us consider. In other words, let's take time to carefully think about what we will do to help one another out. And thinking is, is somewhat a lost art, isn't it? Like, what do we spend all of our free time doing today? It's like, you know, get your binge on on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all these different things that we fill our minds with instead of taking the time to really think. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, consider, think about, ponder how you can stir up one another. Think about it. It's not something that's going to come naturally to us unless we dedicate time to think about it, to consider. So what is the writer of Hebrews getting at when they say to stir up one another? Well, an interesting fact about this Greek word for stir up, uh, it's also used in Acts 15.39. Acts 15.39 says this, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Uh, so this is referring in Acts, this is when Barnabas and Saul, remember when they were doing ministry together and they just, had, they just butted heads? They had such a sharp disagreement that they did ministry separately and took different people with them. That sharp disagreement, this is the same word for stir up. So in other words, when it comes to helping each other and spurring one another on, sometimes it's a painful process. Sometimes it's something that we don't really want to experience, but it's something that we need. So this is, this is not like a cheerleader. So my wife was a cheerleader. She just gave me a weird look here. <laughs> One of my favorite stories she gave as a cheerleader. Uh, so she, her role, when the, whether the team scored a touchdown, she would grab like the, the school flag and run it up and down the stands. Like in front of the stands. So she'd go to one side of the stands and then come to the other. Well, she ran down to the end. And as she was getting ready to run back, there's this roar of laughter from the crowd. And she's wondering what's going on. And all of a sudden, she looks ahead, and there is the flag to the pole that is laying on the ground. And all she has is this pole that she is running back and forth. No flag. This is not talking about cheerleading. Cheerleading, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, because that is important in our lives too. Rather, this is something where we need others, where it might be kind of a sharp correction. Consider Proverbs 27, 17. You might have been in a group, men, if, that had this name of iron sharpening iron. But iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. When you think of the process of ironing coming in contact with other iron, is that like a, like a smooth, easy thing? <laughs> There's a lot of grinding. There's a lot of noise and sparks that takes place. Now, I'm not here to say that we should just stir up one another and start fights and start quarrels. But sometimes when we got to come to somebody and say, look, brother, sister, you're not lining up with Christ. Your life does not look like the life of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this. And we urge you, brothers... 
Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. So when you think about the idle, the lazy, what do you do? Does that need a cheerleader? Go, go, go. Or they need, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is not good for you. This isn't leading you anywhere. Why are you laying around all day long? That's what the idol needs. And sometimes we need that, don't we? Sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we lose our minds. And we are sinning in ways that is disruptive to the household of God. To the name of Jesus. And we need brothers and sisters to come into our life. And bring us back on track. But notice in Hebrews 10 what we are stirring one another up in. We do need to be careful here, don't we? And some of you maybe are ready to walk out because you've had somebody come and call you out. And they had no business doing it. And you're like, what is this calling people out stuff? I'm not about that. But for some of us, we actually like the conflict, don't we? <laughs> some of you like great because there's some people in this church that I've been waiting to call out for a long time. And if that's your heart, you got a problem as well. This is not about rowling people up for no reason. There is a goal here in mind. What does it say that we are stirring one another up in? Love and good deeds. This is not just, he's not saying, and let us consider how we may stir up one another. There's a lot of stirring up one another. Politically, have you noticed that? It doesn't matter what side you are on. Both sides are out of control. And they are stirring up and they are causing anger and they're causing division. That's not what this is about. We're not called to stir up one another, get somebody angry at somebody else. Stir up towards love and good deeds. Let's love one another well. Let's do good things with our life. Let's not look to be defeating other people and, and smashing other people. We're called to stir up one another towards something, towards love and good deeds. Does that sort of response when you're, when you are interacting with somebody who's off base, does it look like, Stirring towards loving good deeds, or does it look like somebody who is irritating you, who you just want to have on your side and to believe what you think is true, or are you actually pointing them to Christ? What does that look like for you? And when it comes to the Christian life, there is a thin line between admonishing someone and just ripping someone apart, isn't there? And we as Christians can abuse that. And we can use it and say, look, this is what I'm called to do. That's why we so badly need humility in our lives. And why we need to spend time to truly get to know one another and genuinely love one another before we start critiquing one another. We can't just go in and find one moment of weakness. How many of you have had one moment where you just blew it? At least one moment. <laughs> Right, And we don't want to be defined by that one moment, but often when we don't know somebody, we just define somebody by that single action. And we judge everything based on one thing, and we have no idea what that person is like. We have to be careful. That's not humility. 
Sometimes to genuinely love some, another person means that we have to call them out and give a critique. Have you ever said this or had it said to you, the Bible says do not judge? Have you had that? Like we shouldn't judge one another, don't judge me. Have you ever, have you ever said that or believed that or had somebody say that to you? Let me ask you this, and this may be controversial for some of you. Are we truly not to judge one another? Let me ask this. How many of you have ever had a babysitter for your kids? Do you not judge whether or not that person is fit to watch your kids? How about this? You have a friend who's married who is with another person who's not their spouse and they're intimate. Are you not going to make the judgment that what they are doing goes against the ways of the Lord and call them out? And yet, I see Christians do this. You can't judge me. The Bible says do not judge. The Bible says do not judge lest you be judged for the same thing that you are doing. We're not to judge and be witch hunters looking for sin. But when we see it in a brother or sister, we are making a judgment that this is not the ways of the Lord. And I don't want them to see, see them throw their lives away like I've seen so many people do that. So don't let, the, don't let the thing where it says, do not judge, think that somehow we shouldn't approach one another when we see people off. Is that not a judgment that we make when somebody is off base and we are looking to correct them and bring them back in line? Otherwise, if you don't think we should judge, then forget parenting. Because you're judging how their kids should live. And we should. We just have to be careful. We must do it in humility. There is an article that I recommend everybody to read. It's going to be one of the action points at the end. It's called The Cross and Criticism. Write this, write this down. The Cross and Criticism. The author is Alfred Poirier, I think is how you say his name. All you got to do is do a Google search. You'll find a PDF document on there. I encourage if you're a small group leader to walk through this with you. This is all about like how to receive criticism. And this particular thing is about how to give criticism. This is an excerpt, a little excerpt from this article about how to give a criticism. So you don't have to write these down necessarily because I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. You can find this right on the article. But let me just walk through some of these. So when it comes time where we are called to confront somebody who is in sin, we need to have this understanding before we go in. First of all, I see my brother or sister as one for whom Christ died. When we are coming and confronting somebody, we have to remember they were made in the image. Christ has died for them. Here's another thing. I come as an equal who also is a sinner. If we come with this high horse like we have it all together, we have forgotten that we were sinners, that door is going to be shut and that person is not going to want to be here. If we're coming with our swords, people aren't going to listen. We need to remember, we, listen, the, the cross is level, right? The, the ground at the cross is level. And we are all separated from God because of our sin. I prepare my heart lest I speak out of wrong motives. So do I just want to get a high off of confronting somebody and calling them out because guess what, I'm right and they're wrong and they need to know about it? Or do I genuinely want to see this brother or sister be spurred on in love and good deeds? We need to check our motives. I examine my own life and confess my sin first. This is why don't judge lest you be judged. Like, wait a minute, Lord, am I even in the right place? Am I doing the same things? God, help me to see. And Lord, is there sin in, in dwelling in me that I need to repent of and confess before I even think about going to my brother or sister? This is 1 Thessalonians 5.14 right here. I am always patient in it for the long haul. Always patient. Is God patient with us? Always? 
How many of you are nailing it every day? You're just, you're just crushing it. Like this Christian walk, you've got it down. <laughs> On the flip side, how many of you are amazed that God lets you breathe? My goal is not to condemn by debating points, but to build up through constructive criticism. So we're not trying to prove a point here. Again, we're stirring on towards what? Towards love and good deeds. That's what we're doing. We're not looking to build the points and build arguments. And we are looking to grow somebody in Christ. Last thing. I correct and rebuke my brother or sister gently. Gently. In the hope that God will grant him the grace of repentance, even as I myself repent only through his grace. We can't anger somebody into repentance, can we? We're gentle, and if they are pushing back against us, sometimes we just need to step back. And we pray for God to grant them repentance, always staying humble the whole time. And here's the thing. When you, f- when you are the other side of criticism, I've been there. It's not fun to have somebody come and say, you don't measure up. I want you to think about this and write this down. Maybe you write this down even in your Bible. Nothing criticizes you more than the cross. This explains in the article, but here's what it means. Nothing criticizes you more than the cross. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. So when we think about communion, we think about the cross, one of the things that we think about is, I'm the one who put him there. I'm responsible for the death of Christ. It's because of my sin that he was crucified. Nothing else criticizes you more than that. And so when somebody comes, maybe it's even three quarters, four fifths, maybe there's only one tenth of truth in there. Guess what? There's one tenth of truth that can help you grow more and more to the image of Christ. And often when we receive their critique, it's about how we receive it and seek the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me? But here's the reality. Here's the reality. We gather in order to stir up. Just remember that the stirring up is toward love and good deeds. Why else does the church gather? Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So this is one that people don't always want to hear. Why do we gather? The church gathers because we are commanded to. The church gathers because we are commanded to. What is the writer here saying? He's saying do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. He's not saying, hey, you should probably consider going to church. You know, do it more than Easter and Christmas. But, you know, every week, it's not a big deal. Like what God is calling us to do here, don't neglect it. Gather together. Meet. It's a command from God. And if we look at Scripture and believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, then God breathed through the author of Hebrews for us to hear, don't neglect the meeting of God's people. Don't get in the habit of saying, you know what, it was a long night last night. We stayed up a little bit late watching that movie. I think we should just stay home. Or, hey, like, we don't really have to go to church every week. That's legalistic. 
We can come up with a lot of excuses, can't we? But the reality is God commands us to meet together. Have you ever had a, a sports team or a, a coach or a parent who just only pointed out things when you did it wrong? Never heard any encouragement. You only heard stuff that was wrong. See, the, the beauty of gathering together as God's people, it's, it's a command, but it's for our good, right? It's, it's for our good so that we can encourage one another. But if you've ever had a parent or a coach who the only thing they do is critique you and tell you what you've done wrong, it's very defeating, isn't it? Hardly motivating when you don't hear anything good that you're doing. I had a boss like that, and it was so detrimental to my work ethic. I found myself asking, what do I need to do to keep the boss off my back? You ever have that? I'm not really focusing on what I need to do for my job. I'm just like, how do I please him? Because I just want him off my back because every time he calls me in the office, it's never for encouragement. It's always to rip me apart. That is no way to live. Living from a place of fear like that. And yet so many of us have that kind of mentality where the only feedback we give is if something was done wrong. After all, you know, for, for you employers, like, well, they're just doing what they're expected to do. But we gather not to just check the box off. Our motivation shouldn't be I'm just here to please the Lord, although that is a good motivation. Like, it's for our good to gather. It is for our good to come together. Let me ask you this. How many of you find yourself in a place just longing for someone to come alongside, to pat you on the back and say, man, you've done a good job. That's what happens when we come together. But when we neglect meeting, we need to understand that the neglecting of meeting together is a spiritual issue. When we don't prioritize the gathering of God's people, there is something wrong with our hearts. We do not love the bride of Christ if we are neglecting the meeting together. And we have such stern warning here in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 26. Listen to the warning of the author here and why he says don't neglect meeting together. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So why do we gather? God commands us because there's this warning for us that we could all fall into sin. We could all give way into our flesh. I don't have time to get into this. There's some bombs in here. But the point is here, we should, we should be fearful if we are isolating ourselves from one another. The scriptures are clear here. There's no denying scripture calls us to gather together. I don't have this on the screen, but there's a, 
a quote from Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth that says this about the dangers of disconnection. Being disconnected from the local church for whatever reason is a dangerous way to live. Not only do these lone rangers miss out on the blessings of functioning within the context of the body of Christ, but like lone sheep away from the safety of the flock and the watchful care of the shepherd, they are vulnerable to predators of every sort. That's the danger of isolating yourselves from one another. There's no me and Jesus is enough. It's not here. Otherwise, why would all throughout scriptures do we have these one another, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another? Why would we have those if God doesn't care about your church attendance? We can't make excuses. We can't claim that's legalistic. God commands us to do this, but it's for our good. There's a warning here. We all can be susceptible to give in to sin. We must be careful. Are you prioritizing the gathering of believers? Is Sunday morning a priority for you to get here? Outside of travel, sickness, or other circumstances that might keep you from coming, do you make this gathering a priority? I remember, uh, if I'm, any Notre Dame fans here? Praise the Lord for some of you. Some of you are afraid to do it. I know it's not been a great year so far. 3-0, but it feels barely 3-0. There's a guy in there off a defense, one of the best defenders, Myron uh, Tungavaloa. If you've heard of him, he's number 95. He's a really good defensive lineman. And I, I just never forget this. Uh, he had a USC game out in USC, California. It was a night game. And so they're playing at like 7.30 at night till 11, 11.30 at night. The plane rolls in at like 5 in the morning. And guess who's there for the 8 o'clock service? A college kid. I mean, if anybody has an excuse to stay home, he's kind of one of them, isn't he? But here he is because he understands the need to gather, to be encouraged. And that really brings us to the last point. Why do we gather? Here's the last point. The church gathers to encourage. The church gathers to encourage. And maybe that's why some of you haven't made church a priority because you just haven't found any encouragement. And for that, I just want to say I'm sorry. But listen to what the word says here. Not neglecting to meet together is is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is comparable to the stirring up, but this is more like the cheerleader. This is more like the person in your life who is an uplifting presence. You know, we can't spend all of our time only admonishing and only exhorting, only critiquing one another. If that's all we do, then we are going to set ourselves up for failure. And we're going to have lots of people who are going to walk away from us. We need to treat it sort of like a bank account. Can you withdraw money from a bank account if you have no money in it? No. But the more you withdraw, or the more you deposit, the more you deposit, then when you come to withdraw, you have something to withdraw from. The same is true with our relationships with one another. If all we're doing is withdrawing from one another, all we're doing is critiquing, all we're doing is tearing apart, all we're doing is pointing fingers at how you need to be more like Jesus, you're nothing like him. If that's all we do, that relationship will end. And that person will not be encouraged towards love and good deeds. They're just going to be reminded constantly of how they fall short. 
Rather, we should spend a lot more time depositing than withdrawing. I think parents might be especially hard for us. Because it's easy just to see your kids and you just see what you want them to be and what they're not. And we can spend so much time critiquing them. Critiquing them. Tearing them apart instead of encouraging them. And we need to make sure that our bank accounts are in the black with one another. Write this statement down in your Bibles maybe. If you like writing them down in your Bible, write them down in your Bible. Write this on your notes though. Look for evidences of grace. Look for evidences of grace in people's lives. And here's the truth. For some people, is there a different standard for people? I mean, I think there legitimately kind of, there should be. For instance, me. If I'm out there cursing like a sailor, getting drunk in the, in the halls, should there be consequences for me as, a, as your pastor? Yeah. How about the guy who just gets saved but he still struggles with that? And he has relapses and he, and he gives in to those, those desires and he finds himself in a mess. Do we just kick him out of the church and say we're done with you? Or do we encourage him? And what if he goes five, six months without any issues but then has a follow-up and then it's another eight to 12 months without any mess-ups? Should we not be encouraged? Looking for evidences of grace. Uh, I love small groups. I'm a, I used to be a small groups pastor. I believe firmly in it. And even people in small groups, like... You have those who, like, they don't stop talking. <laughs> You're like, please, please, uh, thank you for sharing, but we need somebody else to share. And then you got those who, like, never share. But then you have that one week where they share, and, you, and what they have to say was so brilliant and so helpful. And you're like, that was amazing. Even if this person said five million amazing things, which is great, you want to look for the evidences of grace in this one person who never says anything. But, man, they actually shared something good. We're looking for evidences of grace. For some people, it's little baby steps. For others, it might, we might be looking for bigger steps for them to take. But look for evidences of grace. Are you the kind of person that is looking to be an encourager? Or are you more like a coach who just sees the wrong and, wants to, and, and doesn't say anything when they're doing it well? Or an employer who employees is nailing it, they don't say anything because that's just what, the, well, that's what we're paying them for. Instead of just looking for opportunities to encourage, to build up. It's not, we can't just spend all of our time exhorting and admonishing. There has to be some encouragement in it as well. And notice, there is a reason to encourage one another. You see what it said there at the end? Encourage one another, and all the more, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep encouraging, keep doing that. As you see the day drawing near, what's that day? Jesus is coming, isn't he? He's coming back for his bride. And so when we're tempted to find ourselves in the deepest pits and we can't see up, we need a brother or sister come alongside and say, Jesus is coming. He's taken us to a place where COVID doesn't exist. No more mask mandates. No more need for masks. No need for vaccines. No more cancer. No more job loss. No more strife. No more fighting. No more pain. You'll wipe every tear away. It's coming. Don't you need somebody to say that to you regularly? Don't you forget regularly that Jesus is coming back? Don't you forget that this world is not our own? 
So why do we gather? We don't gather to check a box off. Yes, God commands us, and we should want to please him. But he says to go to church for our good. We're opening up God's word every Sunday, looking at what he has for us, his inspired word, the words that he breathed out. This morning, I was so encouraged once again to hear you sing and to hear the scriptures and to be reminded that by his wounds we have been healed. I forget that. On Monday when I'm cut off in traffic, I forget the goodness of Jesus. And I need to be reminded, Ben, guess what? There's no traffic jams in heaven. (laughs) I lived in Chicago. That really means a lot to me. (laughs) But the point is, the day is approaching. We don't know how long we have. God calls us to gather in order to stir up. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's painful, but in the prodding, in the stirring up, it's towards love and goodness. And don't forget that God's commanded you. Do you want to please the Lord? It's a good motivation. We want to do things for the Lord. He's called us to gather. And he's called us to gather. The church gathers in order to encourage one another. Are you being an encouragement? Are you an encourager? Are you looking for evidences of grace in people's lives so that you can build them up? Parents, do you have that kid where you just feel like they're hammering them every time? I guarantee there's something good you can find. Men, here's a challenge for you. Uh, We fail at this a lot. Um, You ever look at your wife and think, man, she's beautiful. She's dressed all nice for you. By the way, Nikki, you look very lovely this morning. I just want to say that. Um, So you encourage your wife. But what if you feel that and then your wife comes up to you that night and says, I thought you thought you would think I look beautiful what I wore. And you're like, but I, I was thinking that. <laughs> Guys, you all know at that point it's too late, right? <laughs> You've missed your opportunity. And we do that all the time, don't we? We have thoughts of encouragement for people in our lives that we're like, man, I'm so grateful for them. Here's the challenge. Make sure you speak it. Let them know. Speak those things. Who comes to mind right now where you just need to write them a letter? I wish we could revive letter writing, don't you? Like, you ever just get a handwritten letter and you're like, oh, my word, I forgot what this was like. Let's be a church that encourages one another. Let's be a church that reminds one another that Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the encouragement in your word. Thank you that you have not left us on our own. Lord, you have been merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ that has made a way for us. Lord, I pray, I pray that we would commit to the gathering of your people. Lord, I pray for those who aren't even in a small group. I think even more so to be known, we need smaller groups. Lord, I pray that, that we, you would stir in us, that you would help those, Lord. I know there are people here who have been wounded and they're having a hard time of hearing what I've shared. And I just pray that you would meet them, Lord. God, that you would remind them that the hope is not in the church, ultimately, though, even. It's in, it's in Christ. And I pray that you would help them work through those wounds. I pray for our church that we would be authentic and genuine and true, gospel-centered, not just in word, but in our actions, in our lives, in the way that we live. That we would reflect you. And Lord, when it's, we see places where we're just falling short 
I pray that you give us ears to hear criticism in a way that draws us near to you. I pray that we would give criticism in such a way that it's humble, full of grace, but also full of truth, in a way that is meant to build towards love and good deeds. And Lord, I pray that we would not spend all of our time just critiquing, that we would spend far more time encouraging, pointing people to Jesus, because Lord, you're coming back. This world is not our home, and the stuff that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis is coming to an end. Lord, keep our minds and our hearts focused on those things. God, thank you that you meet us. Thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you that you call us out when we need to, that you don't leave us in our sin. You are worthy of praise. Lord, you are worthy of praise. Turn our hearts to you, God. Remind us, renew our our hearts afresh this morning of your worthiness. Lord, thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing this one last time. We sing your praise. We sing your praise, we sing your praise, we sing your praise forever. We lift your name, we lift your name, Jesus over all. Sing it again, we sing your praise. We sing your praise, we sing your praise, we sing your praise forever. morning. Give him a shout of praise. Amen. 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 A couple action steps we'll leave you with, and we'll keep this up on the screen if you want to write it down after after this. Uh, Here's what you can do. Memorize Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. Let me read that for you real quick. It says this, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But... Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's another reason why we gather, why we encourage, why we stir up. Who wants to be hardened by sin? Hopefully none of us do. Read 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 is about kind of the hope in the midst of the, this world and the, the gospel and the fact that these momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. That's a super encouraging passage there, 2 Corinthians 4. 
read that article. You, again, you'll find the PDF online, The Cross and Criticism. Fantastic article. Article will be super encouraging for you. And then the last thing there, look for evidences of grace in others. Look for evidences of grace. And then speak them. <laughs> Share them. Don't keep them, for your, don't keep them for yourself. Don't like just think them. Write it down. Send a card. Go buy some stamps. Buy some cards that you can write encouraging things on. Let's be a church that encourages. Maybe, maybe you need to confront somebody. That's not on here, but maybe that's where you're at. If somebody is off track and you've been afraid, if I'm honest, that's the way that I am. I'm afraid to, sometimes to say the hard truth. Maybe that's what you need to do is, is share the hard truth. And we always do it with grace and truth, right? Always with grace and truth. Well, thank you for being here. It's been an encouragement to hear you guys sing this morning. Have a great week.